Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hey, this is John Lee Dumas of EO Fire and welcome to Master Leadership. Great leaders ask great questions and this podcast takes you on a journey to master leadership with questions that matter to leaders who matter with your host, Lily Sinabria. Hi, this is Lily, and today we're speaking with Jeremy Miller. Inside every organization is immense creative potential, but most of it goes untapped. People are too busy doing their jobs or they're not confident in their abilities. Jeremy Miller says that's a shame. You are creative, your team is creative, and it's the job of a leader to harness and leverage that potential. He is the founder and president of Sticky Branding, a brand building agency. He is the best-selling author of Sticky Branding and his new book, Brand New Name. Welcome, Jeremy Miller. How are you? I am fantastic. How are you, Lily? I'm doing well. We're so happy to have you on our podcast. So are you ready to pour into our listeners? I can't wait. Let's dive into it. All right. So can you tell us a bit about your path to leadership and what you're doing now? So I've had an evolving path into leadership. My first foray into it was when I joined my family's business back in 2004 and was thrown into the deep end to manage a sales and recruiting team. And Mm -hmm. I didn't like that experience overly. It was a hard lesson. And then my leadership journey has continued to grow into something that I truly appreciate and love now. But it took a philosophical change in the last five years from what I had learned in a family business of being more of a patriarchal leader to one of empowerment and getting out of the way of people. And that's a great shift. So what are you doing now? So I run a consulting and marketing agency called Sticky Branding, and we help companies grow their brands through tools, services, books, and consulting services. Now, how would you describe your leadership style? When I hire someone, my first statement to them on day one is, I lead, you manage. And what I mean by that is we will set the vision and we will co-create and work on things together. But if I have to tell you what to do or pull you along, it's not going to work very well. Mm -hmm. And so I would describe my style as one of empowerment and co-creation. I love empowerment. I love co-creation. And I know part of your leadership statement, creativity is what stood out for me, for you Mm -hmm. as a leader. Tell Mm -hmm. me more about why that's important to you. I have come into that through an interesting journey. Where it started was providing creative services for clients specifically around the topic of brand naming and hitting a wall in terms of not able to keep up with demand. And I got introduced to Google Ventures Sprint methodology, and that set me onto a path of employee co-creation. And what I have discovered through both research and practice and also applying the ideas within my own team is that within inside every organization is immense creative potential. Everyone is born creative, but for some reason we have creativity beaten out of us, both through the way we work, but also just our own confidence and busyness. So as leaders, if we can make that shift to say, rather than looking outside for ideas, how do we look inside? How do we look beyond just someone's functional role 
and have them given opportunities to actually work on the business, then what we suddenly see is taking someone out of a defined role and allowing them to participate and help solve problems and use the brain that they were born with is actually one of the greatest gifts to any organization. And as a leader, it, it opens up doors and paths that you never knew existed. I'm thinking of the educators out there who, to me, are probably the most creative people. I know we're all creative. I get mm -hmm. that. But teachers have this creativity and they come in with this vision. And oftentimes, it's what you said, because they're so busy. It just goes by the wayside, which is really unfortunate. But I love that we can reignite that. It's a choice, though. You look at the busyness side of things, that the majority of people's free time is now spent recuperating from work. Mm -hmm. We used to have hobbies. We used to do social things. Now we're planning every moment of our day, not only our work, but our personal lives and taking kids to soccer and making sure we've got everything scheduled and organized. When you've got a task list for your personal life, you got to ask what's going on. And so that constant incessant pressure of lack of time is actually one of the most corrosive elements to creativity. And if you look at a teacher who is constantly having their resources stripped away from them, but their expectations increasing, it just becomes survival. And survival is actually counterproductive to what it means to be creative and to use that right brain in a productive way. Thank you for sharing that. Now, which quotes speak to your life and why? This is actually a personal quote, but it's probably framed my career more so than anything. When I joined my family's business back in 2004, that year was really, really hard. And nothing worked really well. The business was going sideways. And at the end of that first year, I sat down with both of my parents and I said, if this is what it's like to be in a family business, then I just can't do it anymore. This is painful. I got to go back to the real world and have a job and a salary. And my dad said to me, and this is the quote that's always stuck with me, is it's not about the business you've built. It's about the business you're building. What are we going to build next? Mm -hmm. And that was actually the catalyst that started me on this leadership journey, because rather than copying the lessons that they had learned or following other people's paths, it gave me permission to start charting my own course and to start challenging the way things are run not having to copy someone else, but getting that clarity of what are we going to build next gave me permission that I use to this day on how to move forward. And certainly that question, what's next, helps you to move forward. Thank you for sharing that. Now, can you tell us about a leader who inspires you? There are so many, and I struggle a little with this question because you can look towards inspiring leaders like Jack Welch or Steve Jobs and the celebrity CEO kind of profiles. But the people I've actually been most inspired by have been other entrepreneurs that I've had the pleasure of working beside. One of the leaders I really, truly admire is Ian Skates, who is the CEO of an ice cream manufacturer. I had the pleasure of having them as a client. And what I've been so inspired by in his leadership style is just the ideas of empowerment. When you hire someone, he will tell you that his number one job is to make the individual successful. And so it's that attitude of servant leadership. 
But rather than it being a philosophy, it's in the day-to-day behaviors, taking the time to walk the facility and talk with individuals and get to know them, taking the accountability that when somebody is not performing to actually speak with them in a kind way, but in a practical way of what are expectations and what does it take to be successful. And I found that learning from leaders like that is it's not just simply what you learn in a book. It's how you apply it and how you as a leader change your behaviors to make others successful. It's higher level leadership thinking because you're adding value to others. You're valuing others. And when I think of making individuals successful, sometimes it means letting them go. Yes. One of the things that I have in my business and I've operated this way for 15 years is that we believe in people graduating. In my case, I'm a small business, so we can't provide lifelong learning and growth opportunities and it's perfectly fine to graduate. And one of the things we did in my family business before we sold it, when it was a larger business, when someone left and they were leaving on good terms to go to a better job, we'd have a little graduation party. And so they could celebrate people moving on. Now, letting someone go because of performance issues is never nice or fun, but you have to do that. I also think if you're a successful leader, you are causing people to grow. And that also means you have to grow. I think the biggest detriment to leadership is a leader who is unable or unwilling to change. That's not leadership. That's just dictatorship and tyranny. This is why we're having these conversations, because we recognize that and we want to have a platform where people can move and grow. So thank you for sharing that. Now, Jeremy, what's the best advice you've ever received? I go back to the, not about the business you built, but the business we're building. What are we going to build next? That's something that I hold on to. The other key piece of advice that I have received is to truly trust yourself and your vision. I have a lot of powerful influencers in my life and being able to trust my own instincts and move in a different direction and having the permission to do that has been very powerful. And I had a mentor that had to point that out to me and say that because my dad was a very patriarchal leader and he ran from a command and control style and the baby boomer mentality. And I ran from an empowerment style and we had different leadership philosophies. Mm -hmm. And it was Jim's advice that said, you got to chart your own path. You don't have to follow what the old man tells you to do. And trusting yourself is really important. And that word trust to me, it's a powerful word, especially in leadership. So Mm -hmm. how important is trust in leadership? Not just trusting yourself, but trusting others. I think it's absolute. I have a belief and it's a hard belief and it's hard to keep in practice. But when I bring someone on new to my team, they start with absolute trust. I don't agree with the principle you have to earn trust and then it becomes two-way that we start out with a full bank account. And then if something happens, then we change. So I think as leaders, we have to trust and believe in people. Mm-hmm. But I also think from at least in a values-based organization, we have to create the conditions for trust to happen because when you lose trust, you create disengagement, you create us versus them. You essentially eliminate, if you have a desire for empowerment and co-creation, which are my goals, the foundation is trust. You can't do any of it without that basic building block. And you said create conditions for trust. And to me, that's part of a good team. So how do you build a good team and sustain one? I think it's constant maintenance. It's like gardening. You've got a weed, you've got to stay on top of you. You have to have communication, accountability, and scorecards are huge. In my organization, we use a set of tools in terms of 
annual strategic planning with quarterly reviews. We have weekly huddles, ongoing scorecards, and a set of accountability that drives what we are building and under what terms. But I think the other side of it is there's the soft elements of trust and empowerment. And so we work on our social contract. We work on communication. We work on dealing with the hard situation. And I've been very fortunate to work with a group of people that have that shared values. At times when it doesn't work is when someone doesn't give what we give. And at those points, usually the team will reject the individual. So I think it's constant maintenance. I love how you equate it to gardening. Like that brings it to life for me. I've not heard that from someone I've interviewed. Hey, leaders, stay tuned for the rest of the interview following this brief message. If you haven't downloaded your copy of the Master Leadership Journal, go to masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ to get instant access and begin growing your leadership with questions that have been curated by top level leaders. I've also included some cool extras for you at masterleadership.org forward slash MLJ. You describe trust and empowerment as soft elements. Mm -hmm. Why? And Jeremy, the reason I ask this is because I'm an educator. And so that's my world. Mm -hmm. But when I come across the business world, they equate social emotional skills as soft skills. You even said it yourself, soft elements. And so I wondered why you made that connection. And to me, these aren't soft skills. These are the hardest skills to develop. So I always hardly agree with that. I'm wanting to have these conversations because if we continue to call them soft skills, they're not as important. I agree with the semantics and how you were approaching it because I do believe they are the most fundamental and hard elements. And this is actually where we create success. Mm-hmm. From a business person's lens, we think of hard elements as profit, revenue, and process and systems. It's those investable assets where we kind of, at least that's the lens that I have. And this world of leadership, while it having even an HR background, this is not considered the tangible things that move the needle. But what I can tell you in my journey is it's the most fundamental things to move the needle. Absolutely. Now, can you tell us about a challenge that you've experienced and how it shaped your life? So much of my journey into leadership is rooted in this origin story of my family business. And it's funny because it goes back 15 years ago, but it was this moment in time of what changed everything. And what set me on the journey that I am today as an author and a speaker and sharing these types of ideas was joining a family business at a point of transition. And my company was a recruiting agency and we didn't know at the time, but we were being disrupted by technology. LinkedIn and Google and those things were changing our industry before we even knew it. And it was in that point of transformation and having basically your legs chopped out from underneath you where no certainty was left. Everything was changing. Everything that we tried didn't work. It was crazy and uncertain. And you're going through that kind of disruption and volatility. And having lived through that would set a set of understanding and permission that what made you successful won't make you successful. Following what somebody else has done isn't necessarily the way. So being truly open and transparent and willing to try was that catalyst that set me on my path. So I wrote down a couple of words that you said, transformation, transition, open, transparent. That took work. That took intentionality. 
Oh, yeah. It was incredibly stressful and incredibly humbling. And the moments when I fought it were the moments I lost. Mm. So you mentioned also that you're an author. I am. Tell us about that. My first book was Sticky Branding that told the origin story of my family business, plus conducted the research into how do small and mid-sized organizations grow their brands. Mm -hmm. And my next book actually comes out in October. It's called Brand New Name. And it's based on the ideas of employee co-creation that we've been talking about, but it is a process on how to name or rename anything. Very needed, because I see we're constantly needing to shift and rename and rebrand. How could I listeners get a hold of your book? How can they get in touch with you? Both books are available wherever books are sold. So Sticky Branding is the first one. The second one is called Brand New Name. And the best way to find me is just to Google Sticky Branding. My website, stickybranding.com. I'm on all the social networks at Sticky Branding. And I would love to chat with anyone who wants to connect. Perfect. So can you tell us about one of your greatest successes? The first that comes to mind was writing my first book and going through that journey to do that. But the more substantive ones that I'm proud of are actually watching key members of my team blossom and grow. Mm. I call them co-pilots now and where my points of pride are actually in the members of my team. So you lead and now they're leading as well. When I don't have to look over their shoulder, when uh, (laughs) I know they're pulling me, that's a pretty awesome experience. Great. All right. So Jeremy, many leaders describe themselves as lifelong learners. Mm -hmm. What does that mean to you? And what are you learning now? I believe you have to be a lifelong learner in order to be a leader, because the key to me being a leader and what I have seen working not only for myself, but working with dozens of leaders across many industries and organizations is the ability for a business or an organization to grow is dependent on the ability of the leader to change. And so to do that, you got to learn. And not only do you got to learn through books and podcasts and conferences and education, you've got to learn by listening to your team, to your peers, to other people, also trying, experimenting, and seeing what works and what doesn't work, and recognizing that this is a journey, not an event, that you're going to keep evolving in order to get better and more effective. It certainly is a journey. So speaking of, what have you read, watched, or listened to that our listeners should as well, and why? Funny, I have just recently been exposed to Brene Brown's work, and I know she's been around forever, but I am finding that all of her books are absolute must-reads just from the perspective, goes back to that comment on what the perception of soft skills that learning vulnerability learning the ability to communicate learning just the elements of emotional intelligence i think are so fundamental so if you are struggling or thinking around how do i be more effective in terms of connecting with people and thinking about terms of empowerment i'd start with brene fantastic she's one of my favorites Wonderful. Or just watch her Netflix documentary. It's an hour and a half that you will just love. Absolutely. I agree. All right. So Jeremy, if there were something you could change in education, what would that be? What I miss in education, especially in higher education, is the openness to discover and chase creative ideas and not be just putting kids and adults into butts and seats into defined programs of streams. I find the for-profit mentality that has become education, the machine of education is disappointing. 
I come from a background of the arts. I studied English in university. And I think what we need today is more openness and opportunities for people to do broader forms of research, education, and discovery. Love it. And you mentioned creativity again. One of the greatest gifts that we've been given as human beings is the ability to be creative. And we don't use that enough. Creativity is in decline. There's a fascinating research report called the creativity crisis. And the industrialization of our school system is clearly linked to the decline of creativity. Since 1990, creativity scores have been declining and they've actually accelerated their decline in the last five years where people start out and are born creative, but by the time they leave high school and college, we have fundamentally stunted their ability to use those critical thinking and creative muscles. What are some things we can do to reignite that? I think from a leadership perspective, it starts there that we as leaders have to define our organizations to want this. And to do that, there's really going to be some baby steps that need to go into place first. The first one is to create the time and space for people to work on projects. Most people associate creativity with their artistic skills, but it's their creative thinking in terms of applying their knowledge to solve problems and generate unique ideas. So creating space and freedom for people to collaborate more, to think, to do the work is step one. And step two is to provide structure. And you can look to places like IDEO for design thinking or Google Ventures for the sprint methodology. There's multiple different tools and processes out there, but it's creating some structure because most people don't know how to use those muscles. So we have to introduce them slowly I'll just throw one other element to this too, from a leadership perspective is to eliminate judgment. Mm. The fastest way to kill creativity is to judge an idea. And when somebody is not used to doing this and they give you an idea and you go, oh, that's not very good. Or why not you do this? They stop contributing. So you got to shut up as a leader or if somebody else is being critical, you have to stop that behavior because it's culture building in order to foster these skills, whether it's healthcare, education, the private sector, the thing that's missing right now in a world of constant change is the ability to collaborate and the ability to actually innovate, not on the product services that we deliver, but in the way we are fundamentally doing the work, the processes, the systems in-house, the day-to-day activities, the things that each and every one of us touch. And so we have to foster these ideas around creativity in order to be successful. You spoke about judgment, and I think that you really nailed it here because we're judgmental creatures and we have to rein that in. Um, So thank you for sharing that. Now, you have a lot of responsibilities. So what do you do on a daily basis to set your mind? I have two rituals that I rely on. The first is either at the end of Friday or Sunday afternoon, I set out my priorities for the week ahead and I try to forecast out through the quarter because not only am I looking at my daily activities, I'm also looking at the overall strategy and how we're moving the business forward. So I look at that as a weekly ritual and then every day I maintain my task and priority list and I keep that open and visible to everyone on my team. And we have a daily huddle every day just to quickly go through what are our priorities, what's going on, what do we need help on? And that helps 
absolutely with just the constant busyness, but also it increases collaboration because you start to learn that you're not in it alone. All right. Now, if you were to go back in time, mm -hmm. what advice would you give the younger you about leadership? Start with empowerment first. I hated leadership and management after my first stint of it. Coming out of the family business side of things, I had learned a command and control style that didn't work for me. And so if I had learned the principles of empowerment, the principles of a leader, of trusting people, being vulnerable, letting people carry and rise me up, I wish I had been taught those principles 10 years sooner. Great. Now, is there anything else you'd like to share with our listeners? I think my comment to everybody is, this is fun. I think leadership is a choice. Leadership is such a gift to be able to not only move your team and your organization forward, but to actually help people grow and reach their potential. And when you serve and help people reach their potential is when you reach your potential. So I see what we do as the greatest gift on earth. Leadership is fun. This is fun. Thank you so much for adding value to me and to our listeners. Well, thank you. I really enjoyed this too. Have a great day. Likewise. Hello, leaders. In closing, here's a quick message. Coaching is the art of influence that underpins leadership in the 21st century. It is the very thing that can get you from being stuck to being extraordinary. So go to masterleadership.org and sign up to get a free coaching session. Until next time, continue to ignite that leader in you.